VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now, with Positive Living, here's Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin, right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. This is a program that helps you turn your obstacles into opportunities, your problems into solutions, and make your dreams come true. And I was one of the first people on Voice America back about seven years ago. I think they were on the air maybe a year ahead. They started with about 20 shows, and now there are about 200 shows. And this is really the power of the Internet to bring positive programming and programming that uplifts us and, and really inspires us as well. And today is no exception. And you can certainly give us a call if you are listening today, which is the 16th of February on Monday between 2 and 3 p.m. Eastern and 11 and noon a.m. Pacific. You can call us at 866-472-5788. Today we're talking about art, and we're talking about art that translates. It's almost surreal in its look. And we're talking about a children's story called Once There Was a Shadow. The story is by Jordan Fenster, and the illustrator is our guest today. It's illustrated by the surreal art of S.M. Lewis. S.M. Lewis is the contemporary master of photomontage, and we're going to talk about what that is. He's held many art shows um, in, uh, all over the country, and he's an elected artist member of the prestigious Sal Mugundi Club of New York City and has done so much of this. It's really an, an interesting art. Welcome, S.M. Lewis. Well, thank you for having me on the year. Okay, this is a beautiful book. It's a very um, small, small in terms of thinness and huge in terms of pictures and color and, and aliveness, this book. And it's a children's book. The illustrations are just beautiful. And you talk all about shadow. And, of course, that's what the author talks about, and it's a, it's a short book in terms of the story, but what you do is bring it life. So tell us about what photomontage is. Well, um, photomontage is, is was started by the Dadaists, which is an art movement that was actually a social commentary art movement. But my photomontage is different than social surrealistic photomontage that the Dadaists did. Mine is visionary photomontage, Photomontage, which instead of taking what is peculiarly socially interesting about the world, mine is much more visionary in terms of looking at the world in a more primal way, mm-hmm. getting back to, to our infancy. Yeah, and the pictures, too, they have a very surreal, almost um, shaded and, and uh, fuzzy look in a sense. And mostly um, we're looking at figures, Shadows of, of figures. Figures and, and even the backgrounds are shadows. Um, the, the, um, the whole concept of starting with phot- photography, which is very real, it's capturing the world by a camera, not, not by a human, and then taking that stuff that's c- c- captured mechanically and reinvesting the human element in it 
by reinventing those images, by twisting them, turning them, distorting them, bringing out the chiaroscuro, which is the contrast between light and dark mm-hmm. uh, in the images. Um, with the muse being, in this case, Jordan Fenster's words, the story he wrote. So basically, when I was creating this book with Jordan, it was very collaborative. He would write a, write a couple of pages, I would read those pages, and then use those as kind of like the precursor to my dreamlike images. Yeah, you draw the picture. I'm going to read part of this because it's, it's a short story. Right. It says, Now, you may think that shadows are by trunk or paw or shoe, creating when the light hits what the shadows are attached to, and then you have a picture. But it is not what you might think quite precisely true. Would you like to know just what shadows do? Well, shadows slip away sometimes when nobody's peeking. They escape and try to hide with quiet, stealthy sneaking. It's true. You see them sometimes running briskly by. They want a private life and give freedom a try. Well, there was once a shadow who really loved to play. He'd walk and run and skip and hop and jump throughout the day. He'd dance his shadow dances or play a shadow game wherever there was fun, wherever that shadow came. Now, you may know shadows go and play when there's light. But when darkness falls, they have to go home for the night. Well, this shadow, and let's not say his name, thought he would travel to London or see Paris. So when the sun was going down and only sheds of light remained, his mother called, Come home, dear. But he only complained, Why must I go home when I'm having fun? The shadow didn't know he could live without the sun. Sometimes he'd get grounded and stay in his room all day. And that's where he decided to get up and run away. So he packed his shadow bags and went his shadow way and shed a little shadow tear as he slowly rode away. And the story goes on. He rode his shadow bicycle and hoped that he could find a shadowy life. And shadows defined a place where shadows lived and worked regardless of sun, where shadows played in shadow games even after the day was done, which actually really shows us that the difference between the darkness and the light with shadows. But soon the shadow by himself began to feel alone. He missed his shadow puppy and he missed his shadow home. He thought, you know, it wasn't right for me to leave like that. My mother needs me, after all, to help her feed the cat. And so he turned his bike around and in a shadow mood, he was getting kind of hungry for his mother's shadow food. When he made it home, his mother asked him where he'd been. And he said, no, really, and sneaked a little grin. And late that evening when she tucked him into bed, she said, please, my darling, rest a while. Our shadow's mother said, tomorrow's another day and there's another day after that filled with joy and sun and games, filled with light and laughter. You have your life ahead of you and so much love to give. Cherish every moment of the shadow life you live. And that's the whole book with these gorgeous pictures, S.M. Lewis, that you've drawn in beautiful, brilliant colors. For you, what's the message of this book that's inspirational? What's the message of the shadow? Well, you know, Jordan, as you, as you all heard, wrote a beautiful parable. Um, it's upbeat, it's family values, it talks about someone, a young child going out into the world, the child being the anthropomorphic, being, being the shadow, but, it, but it's a child shadow. And the, the child goes out into the world, and he doesn't go out out of fear, he goes out out of, out of desire to learn. He doesn't return home out of, um, out of fear, he return, returns home out of responsibility. Um, it's a beautiful story. And Jordan wrote that story, and then, I, as, as I said earlier, I just kind of like read each page and kind of like just did my thing in terms of creating um, a work. 
Now, mm. in that process, we used a mannequin to generate the main shadow so that the yes. shadow would have a contiguous identity all throughout the book as a single person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was important because the original cut of the book, we had different shadows. Um, as soon as I saw Jordan's words, though, I, I realized, nope, that won't cut it. We need a, a singularity. We need a, a shadow child that um, has continuity from page to page. Normally, when I'm doing photomontage, the, the individual work um, is inclusive of itself. But in this case, it had to also be across the entire book. So all of the photomontages that were created for this book have a thread that connects them together. Mm-hmm. And that thread follows Jordan's storyline. Yes, and it always has these silhouettes. I mean, in every page there's a silhouette. Right. Every page. Now, so it mixes art and imagination. What is the difference between photography and photomontage? Well, as I started to say before, photography tries to capture the world and, and the interaction between humans and, and nature in its most real sense. It, it's a duplicate. It's a photocopy. Mm-hmm. But what it doesn't do, except through the composition of the moment in the photographer's eye and the photographer's vision, except for that, it doesn't really capture uh, much of humanity. However, art, on the other hand, I mean fine art, classical art, um, or even primitive artists that, that used to draw in caves, they were mostly capturing um, a sense of how a human related to the world it was either in, in ancient times descriptive of what happened at the, during the day, or maybe it was in, in trying to explain the wonders of the world that were unexplainable. Well, now in, in modern days, we, 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 science has, has gotten rid of a lot of mysteries, or maybe rediscovered a lot of mysteries might be a better word. Mm. Um, historically, art was, was, had a, a strong foundation, especially European art, in European religions. Um, I'm a, a pretty religious person, but actually my religion has a, an act, actual um, obligation not to create religious art. Um, mm. It's kind of an interesting thing. Um, so when I create my art, it's more to, to bring in the wonder of the world that, that, that I feel was created by, by a divine being. Well, and, and I want to say something here. Um, the shadow which is kind of elusive to begin with, because it's real and it's not real. And that's sort of what you portray in the picture. It's, you know, it, it, it's, it's um, fuzzy and it's bright, but it's, it's elusive in a way. I'm sorry, I didn't quite it's get It's elusive. That. There's an elusiveness to the shadow. Well, yeah, well, shadows are elusive. Um, but, you know, actually, by, by taking a mannequin and posing it and shooting the picture of the shadow, um, you have that reality. The reality comes from the, the shape of the mannequin. That shadow has a lot of body language throughout the book. Mm. I mean, it's clear. The body language is pervasive. Ninety percent of our communication is is pantomime and body language. Mm. When, we're, when, we're, when you're in another culture and you're trying to speak to somebody, mm-hmm. gesture. That's how you communicate. So, kind of what you're saying is, it's not the black and white. It's all the shades of gray. Well, That's where the meaning is. It's, it's absolutely that. And, and, and also, it helps us to relook at the world like we did when we were infants. When we were infants, uh, my presumption, because we all forget it, but my presumption is the world is made up of lights and darknesses and the contrasts between the two 
and colors. And slowly we form those into shapes. And then as, as we relate with other humans, we start to give those shapes context and meaning. But we're born into a world of wonderful light and darkness and form. And the form is amorphous at first. Um, mm. Then we make it lucid by our human experience. Mm-hmm. And, and mm. that's, that's, that's the really cool thing about doing a surrealistic photomontage that's visionary. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're talking to S.M. Lewis about this wonderful book that he illustrated called Once There Was a Shadow, and you can log on to smlewis.com. We're going to talk more about shadows when we come back and what they really mean and also about the different arts. Um, You're listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. And when we come back, we're going to talk more to S.M. Lewis. Stay tuned, folks. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guest jim draws from successes with professionals college high school and youth teams coaches and players learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every tuesday at 4 p.m pacific time right here on america's voice voice america hey dad what i can't get the ketchup bottle open here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Had an accident? The people you may encounter may be attorneys, doctors, and insurance agents. How do you protect yourself and your family? Tune into Meeting by Accident with attorney Tom Woodruff, an experienced trial attorney and former legislator. Attorney Woodruff and his expert guests assist and inform on what to do in a crisis, what steps to take, what to avoid, and most important, what you need to know to get through the process. Meeting by Accident broadcasts every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. Because being informed makes all the difference. Tune into Meeting by Accident with attorney Tom Woodruff. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. 
Remember that this is a program that shows you how to turn your obstacles into opportunities and your problems into solutions and how to make your dreams come true. Today we're talking about art and we're talking about expression through art and about a specific kind of art called photomontage and this wonderful picture book called Once There Was a Shadow, a story by Jordan Fenster illustrated by my artist guest today, S.M. Lewis, who is a contemporary master of the photomontage with many art shows around the country. Welcome back, S.M. Lewis. Well, once again, thanks for having me on. Okay. Um, You know, one of the things that's tough right now is our economy. There's a lot of fear. There are a lot of people that are under tremendous stress. How can this type of art help them? Well, you know, you can look at it, but the best way to do this kind of art is to do it and enjoy it. Because here's the deal. When you're under a lot of stress and you're worried about the future, and the future is a shadow, you don't know where it's going to go. Right. It can go positively. It can become better than it's ever been. Or it can become tough for a little while. And during that time, you can, you can taste some of the other great fruits of the world. For example... Um, People who are unfortunately been, been laid off uh, because they lost their jobs because of the economy. Um, that's tragic. But at this very same moment, we have a, a society where, where parents have been working 99 hours a week and their kids have been kind of away from them. They have an opportunity now to help their children, to be with their children, and to give them that kind of interaction that their children probably have not really had for a while. So one of the things that you can grasp out of the the tragedy of of a job loss is to spend that time with your kids. That doesn't cost you a whole lot, but the benefit is way more, um, is way greater than any material objects that you can provide for them. Mm -hmm. And how would you encourage children to get into this? Should they be drawing Well, not only children, but adults. One of the things that I like to do is if I'm in a restaurant with those paper tablecloths and they have crayons for the kids, uh, excuse me, those crayons aren't just for the kids. Those crayons are for the people at the table. And those people should all pick up those crayons and draw. And they should draw together. And they should be able to draw anything. They should feel free to know that at the end of the day, that tablecloth is going to be crunched up and thrown away and never be there as... Uh, a moment of embarrassment if you draw something that isn't pristine. If you just scribble, it's really cool. It's freeing. If you look at little kids, when they start to draw, they don't draw beautiful um, denotative objects. They draw very random, very, very motionful uh, strokes on their paper. Um, it's only when we become adults that we start to learn about drawing in the lines. Um, little kids just scribble all over the place because that's what they like. Or some of them will just draw straight lines, you know. But different people have different different children have different um, characteristics of how they they pick up a crayon and play with it. Well, we as adults have to get back to that. We have to pick up those crayons and and just free our minds. The relaxation alone is worth it. But beyond the relaxation, it brings with it calming, and it brings with it renewal, mm-hmm. and it brings with it a way to get rid of stress because if you really get into those lines and those drawings and those marks on paper, um, suddenly the world around you 
temporarily disappears. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, and, and if you do it collaboratively, the world around you becomes your nuclear family. Yeah. Wow, that's great. So the art is really, really important. Yeah, because it's, 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 it's food for the soul. Um, mm-hmm. We're basically, you know, we're humans and we're put on this world and we have all these beautiful lights and colors and things like that that we just need a second to take a breath and enjoy. Now, if you don't feel like drawing, if that's not your thing, just take a look at a beautiful sunset or, you know, things like that. Those things are naturally relaxing. Mm. They're the world's greatest tranquilizer. If you're lucky enough to be by the water, go look at the water. Very true. Mm. Now, this book, Once There Was a Shadow, that you so beautifully illustrated with photomontage, which, as you said, has shadows in itself and also has some fuzzy images, but beautiful, brilliant colors. What, for you, what's the meaning of this book? You said a little bit about how shadows are elusive and things change in our life. Do you think it's about change? Well, the book is primarily a children's story about the values of a children and searching out, of a child searching out seeing the world and still having great respect for his family unit and his, his, his responsibilities. That's what the book is inherently about, and that's what Jordan brought to the table. For me, um, the book was an opportunity to do what I just described, is to take this very concrete kind of real-life type of situation and be able to move it into my um, other brain, not my concrete side of my brain, but the brain, the side of wonder. Um, and when you combine those two, you have an unbelievable power, unbelievably, Jordan's the word person, unbelievably powerful message because you, you have... You have um, Jordan's words are art themselves. I mean, they, they, there's no question. You read it yourself. His words are incredible. He has a three three young children. I have a couple of grandchildren. And when we dedicated the book, we both chose to, to re- relate it back to those the, the kids. Because this book is about the interaction of adults and kids. And it, it's also about the, the breaking down of the barriers of, of what seems like ought to be and getting back to what really is. And in this world, what really is important are those sunrises, the sunsets. What's really probably a lot less important, um, at least on on a daily basis, is um, a lot of the technology we have. Now, even though my art uses technology to create it, when I'm using the technology, in my case, the technology becomes transparent to the process mm-hmm. of creating the image. I mean, yeah. And people can see this if they go on your website, which is smlewis.com. It's very unusual kind of art. I mean, it's um, it's it's shadowy, which is exactly which is exactly what this book is. But the colors you pick are beautiful. They're very vibrant. Well, you know, colors colors can bring joy. Colors can bring sadness. There was once a, a psychology study where they, there were color cards in the back of the book. And you would look at the color cards and basically um, pick out the ones you liked and picked up and put them in order. And basically from that, it would create a, a kind of personality profile. So colors are really, really connected to us, as they ought to be, because they come to us in this great world of ours. Um, you know, every, every different um, shade of color uh, affects us in different ways. There are happy colors. There are sad colors. There are uh, let's go do something colors. There are let's relax colors. The, the, the world is full of all these beautiful shades of color, 
And then you overlay that on, on the contrast level with the, the black and white, um, and you get shades of gray. Mm. Well, and but isn't that what life is all about? Yeah. Is the shades of gray. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, when, when, when a, a, a movie producer suddenly wants to, to, to heighten the drama uh, of, a, of a piece of work, oftentimes they'll go to black and white. You know, we, we have Technicolor, or whatever the, the current modern color name is, but then when you suddenly want to have something a little bit more dramatic, you might switch to black and white. When you want to, in, in a movie, when you want to create the feeling of nighttime, you, you shoot blue. You know, I mean, you have to light a movie set when you're when you're shooting darkness, and they do that with by by making the lights all in shades of blue. Contrast that with shades of yellow. That means it's daytime and it's sun and it's the sunrise. Um, you know, shades of red. Um, you know, are let's go do something. Shades of green are I'm here ready. The color to really makes a difference. Pardon me. Color makes a huge difference. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's why. You know, getting back to my religious side, that's why our rainbow wasn't a black and white rainbow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, well, coming to the close, so what are your closing thoughts? If people get one thing out of this interview on this whole idea of photomontage and once there was a shadow, what's your message for people about positive living? You know, relook at the world without your preconceived notions. And from that, you're going to not only help yourself, but you're going to help the entire society, the whole world society. If you look at the world with a new set of eyeglasses, tearing down any barriers that you believe are obstacles, you'll see that those are not obstacles. They're just buoys along the way of life. Mm. So the art is really a representation of how we live. And the word shadow to me is so interesting because... It is it is shadowy, and I think you said before, you know, that in our communication, so much of our communication is nonverbal and isn't black and white. It's it's kind of how we move. It's very subtle. Yeah, you know, I have to tell you, when I started these shadow pictures, the raw pictures for my for this book, and the original pictures I sent Jordan, which are not in the book, um, I took pictures of people at two o'clock walking along sidewalk, and their shadows, and the shadows in many cases looked like really cool people, mm-hmm, more mm-hmm. so than the people, because all the artifacts of what they thought was important disappeared, and what was mm-hmm. left was the reality of how they moved through space. Well, you know what? Maybe, maybe, S.M. Lewis, maybe our shadow is our subpersonality. <laughs> it could be. I mean, when you, when you look at, I mean, I took pictures of a, a guy cleaning the street with his street cleaning equipment, and his shadow was just really cool. Mm-hmm. And then there was a lady with a bunch of bags, and her shadows were really, really very, 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 very good. And then there was a, um, a, a, a guy walking, holding hands of a child, and the big shadow and little shadow were just adorable together. I mean, but, but what you didn't see is you didn't see the brand names. You didn't see the, the style of the clothing. Mm-hmm. All of that, all of the, all the materiality is stripped yeah. away in a shadow. Interesting. What's left is just the reality. All right. Well, we're going to come to a close, and uh, if people want to know more, they can log on to smlewis.com. Right. All right. Thank you so much, S.M. Lewis. I know you use your whole name, and uh, we really appreciate it, and I really hope that people will look at this book because it's quite beautiful. Well, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. That means a lot. Yes, very much. Yeah, we really appreciate you coming on. 
So thank you. Stay on the line. All right, folks, when we come back, we're bringing on another guest who's very interesting, and her name is Anita Briel. And she's going to talk about living with chronic illness, and she's going to talk about the hope. And her book is Dance at River's Edge, A Patient and Doctor Negotiate Life with Chronic Illness. And she's going to talk about doctor-patient relationships and how she's gotten through this and, you know, how she's brought a lot of hope and love into her life. So that's going to be very inspirational. That's coming up in our second half hour. Remember to write to me, Patricia, at patriciaraskin.com. I have a newsletter, and I'd love you to be on my mailing list. And I also have a radio show that's on Sundays. You can log on to 630wpro.com and listen to that, which is on WPRO in the Providence, Rhode Island area. All right, folks, um, stay tuned. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin, right here on voiceamerica.com. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Wine and Women is not your boring wine geek show. It is rather a fresh, fast-paced approach featuring interesting stories and entertaining segments about wine and wine-related topics through a warm and chatty format that will appeal especially to women, men optional. Hosted by wine connoisseurs and luxury lifestyle experts, Julie Brosterman, Lisa Kring, Sharon Borston, and Jeanette Oku, Wine and Women takes listeners to Napa, Sonoma, and other wine regions worldwide to meet the best as well as the newest winemakers, to restaurants to meet top chefs and sommeliers, to wine-themed spas, wine country getaways, even into supermarket wine aisles where Women and Wine Angels swoops down and helps shoppers to get their wine picks and more. Women and Wine broadcasts each Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Women in Wine, enjoying life one sip at a time. I can take care of myself. I can make a peanut butter sandwich. I can brush my teeth and I can give myself a bath. I can walk home alone from school. I can pick dinner from the trash behind the deli. I can watch the baby for the whole weekend. I can keep a baseball bat by my bed just in case there's trouble. Don't worry about me. I can take care of my. Looking for a good time? We've got a show that will give you a wild ride. This show will make you feel good. And it's not even bad for you. You need your time to let loose. It's time for a feel-good party. Pull up to the computer, mix yourself a drink, and turn up the speakers. Happy Hour is here. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, it's called the biggest radio show in the world. Hosted by international personality and and pundit Michael DeMarco. You don't know what's coming next. The biggest radio show in the world on Voice America. I can take care of myself. I can make a peanut butter sandwich. I can brush my teeth and I can give myself a bath. I can walk home alone from school. I can pick dinner from the trash behind the Voice deli. VoiceAmerica.com
everyone. We are back. You're listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. And, you know, it's always such an honor to be here each week and to bring you a program that helps you turn your obstacles into opportunities, your problems into solutions, and make your dreams come true. And in the second half of this program, we have on a very special guest who's really talking about the relationship between chronic illness and between hope and between the doctor-patient relationship and how we really work with that. And my guest is Elida Briel. Her book is Dancing at River's Edge, A Patient and Her Doctor Negotiate Life with Chronic Illness. And this is about living with chronic illness and what we go through every day and how we can turn that around in our lives. Welcome, Elida. Elida. It's Elida. Elida, how are you? Thank you, Patricia, for for having me. You know, you wrote a very interesting book here. I mean, it's an intimate dialogue between two authors, and you really had this powerful bond. You know, I've interviewed people that talk about the doctor-patient relationship, and I think it's something we still need to work on in our country. Talk about how important that is. I think it's essential in in every way, and it's such a good question to begin with because, you know, there's so many patient books. Um, I'm certainly not the only person that has written about a journey such as mine, and there are many, many books um, by doctors, including books that have doctors tell patients what we think. And so Michael Auction, my physician of three decades, and I said, what happens if we throw the rules away and write a dual memoir? What happens happens if we talk to each other in a book the way we have negotiated my life and as he negotiates the lives of so many other chronically ill? What happens? I think what happens... Um, the result is this book, and it's it's been a kind of magical experience for me and for him and for so many others that have been touched by it. You know, it's interesting. I interviewed a woman who teaches at Brown University, and she teaches first and second year medical schools students narrative writing, mm-hmm. collective mm-hmm. writing, and really how they see the, the doctor-patient relationship and what their feelings are when they're with patients or when they lose patients. And it, it's really, um, it's transformative and it's something that's pioneering work, but they're starting to teach that in medical schools, which I think is, is, is really important. I think it's, I think it is not only important, I think it is for the survival of the medical profession and for all of those of us who rely on our doctors. Michael Lockshin says it best, and I will, and I will quote him. He says, that first and foremost, we must come together as people, not as supplicant and savior. And for a physician, especially one as distinguished as he, to be able to step back from his status, from the power balance, Patricia, that's never going to be equal, and to say this is and must be a dialogue mm-hmm. between peers in a, in a manner of speaking. Mm-hmm. And I also think that for medical students coming into the world today, it's a different conversation than when it was, frankly, all male mm-hmm. and very authoritarian. So that I think that the medical students today have an incredible opportunity to intersect with those of us who spend our lives being chronically ill. And you know how many millions of us there are. Talk about in your book, what you think was one of the most poignant experiences between you and between the doctor? For me, it was this. I wrote a chapter called Love and Loss. 
and it's a chapter that was very, very hard for me to write. In fact, I didn't know that I'd be able to because I had to talk about losing love because, mm. because of illness. Uh, not because the men were bad men, but, but they just couldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was something I had never told him in any detail, although we have had a very good relationship. And in fact, his wife's uh, idea was this book. His wife said, why don't you write a book together? His response to that shattered me because I was coming at it as a woman. And so many of us who have autoimmune chronic illness are women. In lupus, it's nine to one, Patricia. Mm. Um, His response was about a man who wanted to love his wife, who was very ill, and was shut out by her and ultimately by her family. And then no one even called to tell him that she had died. Mm. And, of course, Dr. Lakshman had never told me that story. And that brought me up short um, because I went, oh, wait a minute. This is about men and women together and chronic illness. It's, it's about a human interaction that goes often very wrong when one partner is so ill, unpredictably so ill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think, Alita, what do you think is the message in your book that you really want readers to get? After they read your book, what do you want them to say and to know? Well... I originally, of course, as you might imagine, thought I was writing this book for other people like myself and also for the parents of girls. I'm in my 50s, and I began to be unwell when I was 12. So I have a whole, an arc of my life. I have my writing career, but I have my shadow career, managing chronic illness. As I got further and further into the collaboration, I realized I was also writing for those who care for and love chronically ill people, and then ultimately I understood that I was trying to write to doctors as Dr. Lakshan realized we were from the beginning. The message is pretty simple, and it's not simplistic, but simple. It's not just positive thinking or any of that. I didn't choose this life. I will go to my grave saying, I do not choose this. But it is the life I've lived my entire life, really. Mm. And at the end of the day, what I say is it hasn't been all bad. I don't know who I would be if I had not been ill my whole life. Well, you know, that was going to be my question, is if you look at what's the gift, because there's always a gift in everything, Alita. What's the gift here for you? I'm so glad you said that, because what I say is, you know, I could tell you, I could whine for years of all the things this disease has done to me, But what I like to say is, what has this disease done for me? It has, I believe, made me probably a far more forgiving and patient and compassionate person than I might be otherwise if I had never been touched by this, if my life hadn't been so altered by it. Also, my disease humbles me. When I was a very young woman, I considered it my enemy, Patricia. Now I understand it's a companion. I don't. I don't choose the companion, but it is a presence in my life. And what it has done for me is to force me to see there are so many people that are much more heroic than I am. Mm. And there are so many people that struggle more than I do every morning. 
And also the message is our triumphs may not look like much to others, but every day if you're in chronic pain or having a horrible flare or have MS or any of the chronic diseases, if you make that decision to get up every morning and to start your day and to be grateful for it, it may sound simplistic, but I... I have a little exercise every morning that I do when I'm very ill or when I'm depressed about being ill, and I say, okay, what are the three things that you understand that you wouldn't understand if you weren't in the shape you're in? And And what are they? And that makes me braver and stronger. And what are some of them? When you say, what are three things, how do you answer that? Well, I'll give you three very personal ones. I've become profoundly understanding of how difficult it is for a for a male partner to be always on alert. Mm-hmm. No, because if one's partner is has horrible cancer, which is terrible, and and the husband or partner knows that there's no hope, they can pace themselves, Patricia. It's very sad that they can pace themselves. We chronically ill women, or or in any committed relationship, we're asking our partners to be always on the alert. So I have learned to be more forgiving of my intimate friendships. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. learned that I have a message that I want to say, and that is we are not broken. Our bodies may seem like they're broken, but we mm-hmm. are whole human beings, and I want to communicate I, I have to tell you, excuse me for interrupting, but when you said that, the reason I chuckled is I just interviewed Richard Cohen, yes. who wrote the book Strong at Broken Places. Exactly. And, and it's that, Voices and of Hope, people like you who are living with chronic illness. His wife is Meredith Vieira of the Today Show. Exactly. And it's quite a book, and it chronicles five people like yourself and what they've been through and how strong they are. And it's very interesting that Dancing at the River's Edge is having quite an impact in the MS community because MS is also autoimmune. It's neurological. I have a rheumatic autoimmune disease, much more like lupus than anything else, but it's actually Wegener's, but I was diagnosed with lupus for a very long time. And, and um, finally, I think the third thing is to really be able to say to yourself, what really matters in life? Mm. It cuts through a lot of the fluff, doesn't it? It really makes you look well, at, um, you know, what's important. It reminds me of a great line from the poet Adrienne Rich, a wild patience has taken me this far. Mm. I think I have a wild patience. And I think the other thing is that I have come to understand how much doctors want to retune their radio stations in their heads. Well, that's a wonderful thing for you to say. Wonderful thing to say about doctors. And on that note, we're going to take a break. My guest today is Alita Brill, who with Michael D. Lakshan, M.D., wrote a dual memoir entitled Dancing at the River's Edge. A patient and her doctor negotiate life with chronic illness. And you can log on to dancingattheriversedge.com. When we come back, we're going to talk more to Alita Brill about uh, the the doctor-patient relationship, about living with chronic illness, about the hope behind it. And if you're listening, 
live on February 16th between 2 and 3 p.m. Eastern and 11 and noon a.m. Pacific. Give us a call at 866-472-5788. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin right here on voiceamerica.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. If you want to put the pet back in your step, Chad Lafferty's has just what you're looking for. Dance is life. Life is dance. It's only about dance. It's about moving through life with style, gaining awareness of the never-ending, ever-flowing movement that accompanies all of life's activities. Dance is life. Life is dance. Broadcast every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Radio Network. Be sure to tune in and tap into the limitless healing that dance can provide. Can't stop now. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh, There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Well, hello, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. This is a program that shows you how to turn your obstacles into opportunities and your problems into solutions and make your dreams come true. Today is certainly no exception. My guest is Alita Briel. She, with Michael Lockshin, MD, wrote a dual memoir called Dancing at River's Edge, A Patient and Her Doctor Negotiate Life with Chronic Illness. You can log on to dancingattheriversedge.com. Welcome back, Alita. Thank you, Patricia. What do you want our listeners to know about the importance of the doctor-patient relationship? There is a natural tension because we, the patients, we are our stories. We have defining moments, the moment you are diagnosed with something, the moment your disease hits the ditch. We are our stories, but doctors are more like sharks. They have to keep moving forward. They have to keep moving forward in the water because we're just one of many patients they have to deal with in a day, in a lifetime. But sometimes, if they're in too big a rush to move forward to that next patient or to that next crisis, they miss our defining moment that might help them to treat us properly. And I think that's one of the things that's been so important about speaking to doctors, that I want them to hear our stories. And, of course, we have to get more efficient about how we tell our stories to the doctors with their limited time. But I think for anyone that has come through a lifetime or part of a lifetime with a chronic illness that's not going to kill you right away and isn't going to go away, I think we want to be respected for the fact 
that we choose to go on. And that you notice the subtitle of our book is Negotiating a Life with Chronic Illness, not Negotiating Disease, but mm-hmm. Life, but Life. Yeah, yeah. And I know when I interviewed Richard Cohen, who wrote Healing in Broken Places, I mean, he chronicled the life of five people. Extraordinary. I mean, all different kinds of diseases, from nerve damage to psychological diseases to autoimmune diseases. And the bottom line with these people is they had that will to live and to make a difference. It's the will to thrive, and it is also the resolute determination, which I have had in a in a absolute way from the time I was tiny, um, not tiny, but 12 is not old, that I would not be defined by this disease or series of diagnoses. Mm-hmm. This was the book I was never going to write, Patricia. Mm-hmm. I, I was, I was, I was uh, undercover. And mm-hmm. in fact, many, sure. many women What advice, Alita, do you give to parents and grandparents and relatives of those who are suffering with chronic illness? I think to the parents of girls especially who are awakening to being diagnosed with lupus or childhood rheumatoid arthritis, the most important thing that I want to tell the parents and grandparents and relatives, it is inevitable that a girl especially will blame herself. These are diseases that are eating us. And so naturally people take that next step, Patricia, and say, well, if you're If your body is eating yourself, what's eating you? And so it's very easy for young women and teenagers to start to blame themselves and to wonder what they've done wrong. Mm -hmm. That's such an important message of the book. It's not your fault and you're not crazy. One day you've got a flare and and you've got a fever and your hands are swollen and you can't walk. The next day you're perfectly fine. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. You're not a crazy girl. That's a huge message for me. Well, it's also, don't you think it's, in a sense, it forces you to become resilient and cope with change? Oh, I think it does that. I think it, it forces you also to state your humanity and your personality and to say, look, I'm not a little footnote to my life with all these terrible symptoms attached to me. I am the text of my life. These symptoms and however horrible the disease I might be labeled with, those things are the footnotes. Yeah. One of the things Richard Cohen said in the interview is that our culture doesn't like disease. I mean, we're very, you know, we're used to looking at beauty and that we're afraid of it. Patricia, I would like to take that another step. What I see at the far, far edge of alternative medicine, not good alternative medicine, but if you get far enough out to the edge of alternative medicine that wants to throw away any concept of traditional medicine, that is also a place where you blame the victim. You know, if you would only eat the right things and exercise and this, that, and the other thing, because we don't want to accept that there are a myriad of diseases that we are clueless what causes them, and how to fix them. Mm-hmm. Although what you're saying, though, is that your attitude can make a huge, huge difference. I think that's very, very much the case, and I also think that all of us with chronic illness need to advocate because, you know, if you look at autoimmune disease, we get less than 4% of the National Institutes of Health budget. That's, you know, a very small amount for something like 80 million people. Mm-hmm. And so I think each of us needs to become an advocate not only for our own specific 
uh, chronic disease, but for all of them, because they're all sister and brother diseases. And um, I guess perhaps the, the the title of the book is important because many people think that it's about not falling into the abyss and not choosing to commit suicide. But actually, yeah, but actually it's from the last stanza of a poem I wrote called All the Rivers, which I wrote a long time ago for a dear friend, and it ends with, don't push the river, it flows by itself. It flows mm-hmm. above, above us and beneath us. Mm. But in the middle, we dance in the moonlight at the river's edge. Mm. If you think about the That's metaphor, beautiful. it doesn't make sense because I'm saying there's water above us and beneath us, and we're drowning, but we're not. We can always find a river bank, and we can dance, mm-hmm. and we can be saved you know, in the moonlight. It reminds me, right before you, I had my guest, S.M. Lewis, and he wrote a book. He, he illustrated a book called Once It Was a Shadow, and he did all these drawings with shadows and photo montage. And in a way, what you're talking about, Dancing at the River's Edge, is the shadows there. You're exactly. very much part of your shadow. Exactly. And Dr. Lockshin talks in the book about the shadow of a hawk. He watches okay. one afternoon, and that the hawk almost catches a squirrel but doesn't because the squirrel outsmarts him. Mm. And so he says the hawk is a disease and sometimes the little animal, the squirrel, the human, um, is smarter and, and outfoxes the, the hawk. What's your message in closing if you want listeners to get one thing out of this interview on dancing at River's Edge and living with chronic illness, what would you say? I would say that buy the book because it is an inspiration that I have lived this long and I have had a full life and continue to do so, and that you must not ever give into it, give up, or be defined by it. Okay. And if people want to know more about your work and about your book, please go on to my own website, which is www.alitabrill.com, or you can just go on to dancingattheriversedge.com and hop right onto my website from there. We're on Amazon. We're on Barnes & Noble Online and all the bookstores, and you can order right off the book website, too. Okay, and do you give workshops and talks as well? Yes, I do. Absolutely. Okay. And people can, can write to you or go to the website and find out about that? Absolutely. Absolutely, Patricia. Thank you so much. I really thank you for coming on the program, Alita. Stay on the line. Really appreciate it. Okay. My guest has been Alita Briel who was Michael D. Lockshin, M.D., wrote the dual memoir entitled Dancing at the River's Edge, A Patient and Her Doctor Negotiate Life with Chronic Illness. You can log on to dancingattheriversedge.com. And please do that. And you can also, folks, you can write to me, Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. I'd love to hear from you. I have a blog and a newsletter. I'd love to put you on my newsletter list. So please do write to me. And I have another radio show on Sundays on WPRO, which you can listen to online at 630WPRO.com. And if you go to my website, RaskinResources.com or PatriciaRaskin.com, the lineup of all my programs is, is definitely on the site. I have some amazing guests coming up, both on Voice America and also on WPRO. So I'd certainly love to hear from you, and I will uh, answer your emails. So again, that's Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. And remember, each week we bring you amazing guests that help you really transform your obstacles into opportunities and your problems into solutions and help you to make your dream come true. And as I always say at the end of the show, 
Stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Thank you for helping me make my dream come true by doing the show. And by me doing the show, I help you make your dream come true by the amazing people that I bring through the airwaves. Until next time, for Positive Living, I'm Patricia Raskin. Have a great Monday and a great week. Listening to Positive Living with Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. For an autographed copy of Patricia's book, Pathfindings, Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to RaskinResources.com. And tune in next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for Positive Living, right here on VoiceAmerica.com.